0: The box. You opened it. We came. It's just a bottle. box! Oh, no. It is a means to summon us. Who are you? Explorers in the further regions of experience. Demons to some. Angels to others. It was a mistake! I didn't... no you solved the box we came now you must come with us taste our pleasures. <laughs>
1: Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Tomcast podcast. My name is Tom and I'm so glad you're here for more Halloween shenanigans with us here on the show. Again, our format has been changed a lot in the course of 2022, but we still do uh, uh our traditions. And Halloween is a big tradition here on the podcast, so we're so glad you're here for this exciting conversation. <laughs> we are still doing social media. We are at Tomcast Podcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show, TomCastPodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from everybody out there in the world. Share your thoughts, share your feelings, share your hopes and dreams. Because uh, those are fun to talk about too. <laughs> so, yes, right, it's Halloween weekend. Uh, and we have a big conversation for you. We got a nice double feature to get you into your Halloween weekend, to get the to raise the hackles, get you give you the goose the goose flesh, and and, and, and to get you talking about some scares for the holiday season. Now uh, we are here to talk about Hellraiser one, the uh, what was this like nineteen eighty seven? I think this one came out. The first one came out, uh, written, directed by Clive Barker, starring Andrew Robinson, Claire Higgins, Ashley Lawrence, Sean Chapman. Uh, it's it's oh, it's a classic. I don't know what else to tell you. It's it's a freaking classic. This is a great film. I enjoyed this very very much. I think you'll have a good time watching it. Uh, it's a fun conversation that my brother and I get into, uh, and so I think you'll really. This, this is a layered movie. There's a lot of things going on here, and I had a great time talking about all of them. Uh, and then the other half of the double feature is Hellbound, Hellraiser 2, the sequel, the inevitable sequel. Uh, this directed by Tony Randall, but not that Tony Randall, uh, and written by, uh, I think Peter Akins gets the screenplay credit on this one, uh, you know, with a based on, by Clive Bar- from Clive Barker, and in this case, sort of uh, an expanding of the Hellraiser universe in that sequel. And, and I remember having much fonder memories of Hellbound Hellraiser two than than uh than I did on this rewatch. It's been it's been several years since I'd watched Hellraiser two and I sort of had forgotten uh, that it's a bit more and my brother points it out in the conversation that it is a bit more sort of a, a sort of a fantasy exploration of uh, the Cenobites and their their realm and things like that. It's not so much about the horror and the blood and all the stuff in there and, and it, it's uh, it's it's a um, I'd say strip down <laughs> because knowing the Cenobites and their, their tendency for ripping flesh uh, because it, it's not quite as complex, not quite as layered as the first film. But it was, it was a blast to sit down and talk about all these movies in depth with our very own hor- horror meister, the master of mayhem himself, my brother Mark. So I want you to, to pre- prepare yourself. It's a crazy good conversation, uh, especially if you're a fan of these movies. I, th- I think we bring a lot to the table here. Uh, to maybe get you to re-examine some things maybe maybe present a couple of ideas that you hadn't thought about before or you'll just disagree and think that we are completely off our rockers that is a possibility too but that's what this shows for <laughs> so I want you guys to get ready for the conversation uh, it's a lot of fun so you do do what you got to do which usually means sitting down buckling up holding on your butts and buckling up again <laughs> so here we go it's time to tear your flesh and your soul apart.
0: Oh no tears please. It's a waste of good suffering.
1: All right, joining us for this very special late night episode of the Tomcast podcast for Halloween, we had to bring in the master of podcast horror. That would be my brother, Mark. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. How are you? (laughs) It's nice to see you. Your video feed's working. It's been out uh, more often than not in our recent conversations. Uh, Yeah. Ominous that I can see you now as Halloween approaches. Appropriate. (laughs) Appropriate slash terrifying. Oh, okay. (laughs) So... (laughs) You know, once again, we're back for, for some Halloween spooktacular fun. And, you know, you kind of threw the gauntlet down. You were like, hey, man, let's stop pussyfooting around with Halloween and do some legit fucking horror movies. And you're not wrong. <laughs> so, so I picked up that gauntlet and I put it on my hand and I hit play on my DVD machine. I don't just go with it Mark just roll with it alright Accept the metaphor
2: okay <laughs> uh,
1: so we went back and forth about a million different movies and ultimately we landed on Hellraiser 1 and 2 uh, and, and I think it's fair to say these are pretty pretty solid staples of the genre particularly coming out of like the late 80s into the 90s would you yeah, agree for,
2: yeah for sure
1: yeah, it's it's, but they're also a very different. Particularly, the original vision of Hellraiser is, is is like vastly different from what we came to know from like the slasher genre, right? You know, you got your Freddy's, your Jason's, your Michael Myers, you know, the the sort of icons of the genre, and then uh, then you get Pinhead, and again, Pinhead equally iconic, but that guy's. Jam is completely different than than Freddie, Jason, and Michael, you know?
2: Yeah. yeah. More or less. Uh
1: so I had a really good time revisiting the first one in particular. My 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 recollections and and correct me if I if I've forgotten anything or if I'm getting it twisted, but you and I came into Hellraiser uh young ish, but watching these on VHS. Yeah. These, these were video store rentals, like us exploring the genre, wanting to get familiar with Clive Barker. We've been hearing about Clive Barker stuff and how it was like, you know, kind of out there, horror stuff.
2: Well, I think it was more you had been hearing that because you were like, hey, let's get this. And I remember just being like, okay.
1: Okay. I mean, and
2: yeah. Then, and then, and then we, we watched it. Like, I had no idea what it was. I just knew, like, the cover was kind of cool. The guy, with the pins in his head.
1: Right, right, right. And it, it, I, I think the first Hellraiser. Let, let, I think we should focus on the first Hellraiser for right now. Um, yeah, that is a movie. <laughs> it that, is a movie. That that uh, for, uh, I'm trying to think when we actually saw it. I, I think we were like right on the cusp of being teenagers, so kind of like slightly preteen, maybe early teens. There's a lot of that movie that was like over my head and I didn't realize it at the time.
2: Oh yeah, for sure.
1: <laughs> like this is rewatching this movie again. And it's it's been a hot minute since I since I watched the first yeah. Hellraiser. Uh, oh. there are, are layers upon layers and subtext and, and uh I like things I did not pick up on on the first viewing. Right. I mean, when was the last time you watched it? <sighs> I, I would say it's probably been at least ten years possibly fifteen. Okay, but
2: you didn't pick up on those things then.
1: Um not in this in the in the sense of for like for a conversation like this. You know, okay. you're sort of watching and like and like yeah you're pushing it on a different level because you're you know you're an adult and you understand these things. But you know, preparing for a podcast when you are actually kind of more focused on all the levels. <laughs> you, okay, you know, well- you know
2: we we texted about this. I'm curious to hear about these levels, um, you know, because I, you're right that that it's it's layered. But I'm also kind of wondering if there's something that you notice that I haven't thought of or considered before.
1: Yeah, I it, it, I mean, the first Hellraiser in particular. It's it's. I don't want to, I don't want to call it like the, the, the Thinky Man slasher picture, but uh, again, it's not the run-of-the-mill, you know? It is not, let's go to a scary cabin in the woods. It's not, hey, this dead guy's kind of get vengeance on us in our nightmares, you know? It's not, you know, killer from long ago comes back to haunt his old hometown, you know? It, it's it's a very unique picture in, in many, many senses, I think. I, I mean, you yeah. have the, the depth of knowledge for horror.
2: Well, I agree. I just, I, just, I think it's a mistake to characterize it as a slasher, I don't, I don't think it fits into that subgenre. I think it is its own thing.
1: No, I, I, and actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I, I don't consider it, but it's sort of it, you know, the horror genre, characters, iconic characters sort of get lumped in together, right? You know, so, so like pinheads in the category with Jason and Freddy and Michael Myers, but Hellraiser is very much body horror.
2: Right, and I, I, I would say though that I think. Pinhead gets lumped in with those guys, though, rightfully so, because I think the the franchise unfortunately kind of devolves into, I wouldn't necessarily say slasher territory, but you can tell that they that the producers and the writers and everyone involved they they're treating Pinhead like a Freddy Krueger or a Jason, so I, I think that's one of the reasons why Pinhead gets lumped in with them when. You know, he could have been. He could have been a lot more. Mm-hmm.
1: So. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, unfortunately, the Hellraiser franchise overall suffers from what most horror franchises suffer from, which is like you know, sort of like the law of diminishing returns. You mm-hmm. know, like each one sort of goes downhill. <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, if I, I going sort of, sort of exploring the, the Hellraiser franchise, I was sort of shocked when I realized. Just how many movies they had made after I sort of fell off. Because I, I remember watching like four and five and being like, all right, cool. And then like I sort of faded into oblivion with it. And, and you know, they became all like straight to DVD kind of movies, and I had no idea they were so cranking them out. I had no clue. Isn't one of the sequels called Oblivion? I believe so.
2: Yeah. So I stopped after four. I have not seen a single one after after part four.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: And and yes, I looked into it and I knew I knew there were a couple straight to, to video to D V D releases. And then when I saw that there's like I don't it looks like there's at least ten movies in this franchise it's by now. Like that. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I saw one of them, Evil Goes Online. I really <laughs> want to check that out.
1: I mean I I, I admit to having a curiosity because uh, I, I do like the basis of the franchise but like I said you you know you kind of know each one you're gonna watch is is gonna be less good than the one before it and and they had them all they weren't easy to find streaming wise like a lot of them basically after two you have to get like a seven-day trial for Cinemax which I knew I'd forget to turn off and then I'm gonna get stuck with paying 10 bucks for Cinemax which I don't want to do so I I sort of refused to go down that road (laughs) yeah and you know yeah, you can rent them, but I, I was like, I don't know if like three, four bucks is worth it. <laughs> yeah. But but again, focusing on on the first one, and you know, I, I sort of mentioned a minute ago, you know how Hellraiser is sort of lumped in with slashers because of pinhead, but it's very much body horror, which is yeah. a subgenre of horror that I am immensely uncomfortable with. Th- that is like the cringy, Subgenre of horror that I'm—I'm I'm like often wincing and squirming on the couch, where I'm just like, "Oh, I don't like the look at that," you know, like the tearing of skin and like the just this—I uh, can't even—I don't even have the right word right now, but just it's ugh, things coming out of people's body cavities. I mean, it's just—it's almost—it's—it's it's one of those things that's insanely uncomfortable for me, which again is the purpose of the genre, right? But the first Hellraiser in particular, um, um really really lives in the, in that comfort zone of, of body horror
2: <laughs> yeah for sure
1: so so talk to me about the, about the plot can you kind of like lay out the plot of the first hellraiser for our wonderful audience Oh wow okay um, yeah put it on fresh for us like like be succinct
2: <laughs> I, succinct is not my strong suit no that's why um, that's why I said it <laughs> Thank you okay well so there's a box there's a puzzle box. Called the lament configuration, and it opens doorways uh, to, or I could, it's really just one doorway, isn't it? Mm. Um, anyway, so this guy Frank, he's playing with this box, and these demons come, and they they kill him, and uh, and they, <laughs> they kill they kill him in his childhood home. And then shortly after that, his uh, brother and wife. Larry and Julia move into the house, and they they start living in the house. And then Larry uh, bleeds on the attic floor where Frank died, and Frank starts coming back to life. But he needs human human victims to uh, to regain all of his muscle mass and his skin, and he is uh, he's employed. Larry's wife Julia to to help in it help his, him in this because lover. yes Julia Julia is his former lover and yeah she starts bringing strange men to the house and murdering them so Frank can devour them and then Larry's daughter from a previous marriage Kirsty discovers what's going on she stumbles upon the lament configuration accidentally summons the Sonobites, which are the demons that come out of these doorways that the box opens and the rest is history.
1: <laughs> it, it sure is.
2: <laughs> I hope that was clear enough.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think so. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this question again as, as sort of like our go-to horror guy. Um, and again, I, I feel like Hellraiser was our first taste of the world of Clive Barker, of the mind of Clive Barker. Uh, have, have you spent much time acclimating yourself to kind of his work like you know whether it's in other films or uh his his novels and short stories
2: um yeah so i I've, I've read the hellbound heart which hellraiser is based on mm-hmm. and um i've read his books of blood which is a collection of his short stories um both very good. Really enjoyed both. I, I've watched other Clive Barker movies. I, I don't remember if he directed them all or if they were just adaptations of his work. But I remember trying to like Lord of Illusions multiple <laughs> times and I could just never get into it. Um, you gave me uh, the Midnight Meat Train DVD one year. Um, sure did. I enjoyed it. It's fun. You know, it's, it's not good, but I I liked
1: it. Um, and the short
2: story it's based on is good.
1: I have a, I have a a super soft spot for, for
2: Nightbreed. Oh, that's right. He did do Nightbreed. Yeah. I have a soft spot for that too. I don't think it's very good, but I do enjoy it. But
1: there's something about it that I just find insanely enjoyable. I don't, I can't even put it into words why I like it so much. I (laughs) think it's
2: like, It is like Hellraiser in the sense that you have these sort of very, at least at the time, creative creature designs, and it's very fantastical, and it's it's a lot of fun for that reason, and uh, when you get older, you you realize that that's
1: David Cronenberg,
2: and he's really hamming it up.
1: Oh, in, 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 in Nightbreed, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I totally understand I, I, it took me a second to get there. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Cronenberg's in that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there is something fantastical about Clive Bar- Barker's work. And, and you know, we were, again, we were texting about the second Harrisor picture. And you sort of put that into context for me. It's like, you know what? It is kind of fantastical. And it made me think of Nightbreed because, again, you know, we're, we're getting all these monsters, all these creatures. But, like, in Clive Barker's mind and Clive Barker's world that he creates for all of us, like, these are characters, these are creatures just from another plane of existence that are just kind of like crossing over. And there's something, I don't know, calming about that where it's just like it's just kind of like a, an element of nature that just is intersecting with our worlds. You know, it's just like I, I again, I'm not putting the, into the right words, but it's less I don't know, it's like slightly less terrifying to think about it in that regards i don't know if i agree with that well, again, uh, i wouldn't
2: say it, i wouldn't say it's calming but i i think it it adds a layer to it i think it like it makes it a little mm-hmm. more in, i don't know if more interesting but it just makes it interesting yeah um it's, it's you know, it's, it's I know
1: different than the rest of the genre is
2: yeah and uh, clive barker has like he's described his sort of genre as being he calls it the fantastic
1: so with a Q-E-U-E, you think Q U E. It's yeah, gotta be fantastic. Yeah, that makes sense for him. He's a bit flamboyant. I get it. Respect to that guy. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> All right. Before we get into more of our Hellraiser conversation, uh, I do want to ask. It's late at night. We're doing we're doing this podcast later than we have done in a very long time. Um, are you having a beverage tonight? Um, I'm drinking some tea. You're drinking some tea. Like yeah. some 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 hard tea, he has got some got some alcohol in that tea. No, I'm I'm I'm
2: drinking some uh, ginger, turmeric, and peach
1: tea. Oh, you're gonna settle down your tum tum. What? You're settling down your tum tum with the ginger. That's right. <laughs> Is it decaf? Destroying the inflammation in my body with the turmeric. There you go. Decaf, though. Right? Uh, well, caffeine free. Oh, there you go, caffeine free. All right. Yeah. <laughs> well since again it's it's late at night for us, it's it's well after nine, almost ten o'clock for us. Uh so so beer didn't sound appetizing. So I'm actually hitting a little scotchy scotch tonight. Got a got a little uh Glendronic twelve year aged and uh some sherry barrels. What is it? Glendronic. Glendronic? I'll send you a picture of it. All right. Yeah, it's aged in uh, in uh, sherry barrels from Spain.
2: Sure, Sometimes, I mean sounds good. i like, yeah.
1: Yeah, don't. I'll have a glass or two of this, and then I I gotta I gotta, I gotta a little hard seltzer actually lined up for after this to wash it all down. Oh my god, <laughs> Jesus! Like I said, it's late at night. You gotta do, you gotta do certain things to make sure you go sleep. Oh, sleep, okay. <laughs> I don't think you should need alcohol to go to bed. I don't need alcohol to go to bed, but I don't need beer to go to bed either. You don't want to go to bed with that full gut. Okay. Yeah. You know, beer, very filling. What's the carbs. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's talk about Hellraiser. What do you say? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about um, – not really our main character per se, but let's talk about Frank. Frank is – overtly sexual (laughs) he's you know when we meet frank he's in i don't know the indonesian area a country yeah he's in a foreign country he's He's in an an, exotic land he's in an that's a great way to put that mark thank you so much and he's looking for like new ways to explore the boundaries of pain and pleasure and all these things and that's how he comes across the puzzle box because he's fixated on finding that that next level of pain and pleasure and and breaking the taboos and, and and any kind of like sexual stereotypes that could be placed on him any sexual restrictions that could be placed upon him am i am i casting too wide of a net here am i missing anything with frank
2: no i don't think so i mean he the... <laughs> is it is it all sexual though or is it just he's just looking to push the boundaries that- Pleasure and
1: pain. All of it. It's all of it. And I mean, yeah. by by societal standards, uh, he is a sexual deviant. Let's let's be honest. Yeah. By society standards, not by, your, by standards. your standards. Your your standards are different. You're you're way beyond Frank. You're in seems, crazy shit.
2: He's pretty vanilla.
1: <laughs> That's right. That's right. Mark Mark is the rocky road to Frank's vanilla. <laughs> you're to hear or first, first folks check out his tinder profile it's terrifying <laughs> <laughs> He's not only gonna swallow your soul he's gonna swallow some other things too
2: <laughs> maybe
1: but I guess swallow your soul's evil dead this is tear your soul apart
2: yeah I all guess right, they're buddy. not into the soul spalling
1: all right whatever but
2: that's why would they limit themselves
1: like that nice. So we, we find Frank and very quickly into this movie. He's with the puzzle box. He's got his candles around him. He's doing his sort of seance kind of ritualistic thing and then just hooks out of the darkness into his right. flesh, just tearing yep. the flesh apart. Yep. And that's all we kind of know until his brother and his – Well, we get a, we get a glimpse of the Cenobites. A glimpse, a glimpse, a tease, if you will. Because, yeah. like, the setup by itself featured prominently in this until, like, what? No. Third act? What? Is that third act?
2: Like, third act, end of the second and act. the
1: second act, yeah. I could see that, too. All right. So, what's his brother's name? I can't hear him. Larry? Larry. 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 Played by... Andrew Robinson. Played by Andrew Robinson. The great Andrew Robinson. Garrick from D-Space Nine. Yes. But in Mark's mind, I think you more closely associated him with, with another character.
2: Um, the killer from, uh, the the Dirty Harry,
1: the original Dirty Harry killer. The one who was like, sort of like the, um, based on Zodiac, based on the Zodiac killer. Exactly. He's, he's great in that movie. He's He's so good in that movie. He's phenomenal. And he's great in this too. And yeah, so we have Frank, who's like super alpha male, dominant, sexually dominant kind of guy. Right. Ba- yes. It's fair to say that Larry's like the passive bitch guy, right? Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Because again, we're he, we're playing in s- yeah, we're playing in that sexuality thing. He's like super passive, doormatty kind of guy. He gets a cut, and he was he's gonna pass out and faint, and you know he's bleeding right. all over the place. And he's like, oh,
0: I'm gonna throw up.
1: <laughs> and he's got this wife, Julia, who uh, is with him for reasons. That we don't understand, but she's a- attracted to Frank. We find out they've had a, a history, a relationship. Uh, she loves the deep dickin that Frank gives her. <laughs> you know, she does. It's all about going to Bone Town with Frank. Yes, and again, again for, mul- we don't, for multiple for in- multiple reasons, though. We, we you know, it could just be the you know, a lot of it could just be the excitement of the forbidden, the taboo of it all. Like, there's again there's a lot of elements to this other than just like the raw sexuality between those two characters. I'm sorry, you cut out there. Um. I, uh, I was saying it, it, there's a lot of layers between, you know, the, the, the forbiddenness of, of breaking your wedding vows. There, there's more than just the, the sort of sexual tension between two characters. Um, you know, it's again, it's, like you said, it's Frank's about pushing boundaries and societal boundaries. Uh, You know what's more sacred than breaking, having someone break their wedding vows to be with you, right? In that sense, but that's not enough for Frank. Frank wants more. But for Julia, Julia can't get enough of this dude. Julia's all about the Frank. Right. So, as we sort of explore that history, that she, that secret history that she has with Frank, and we find out that Larry's just a bitch. (laughs) It's super passive, super aggressive, not aggressive super just blah, 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 yeah. And, and Julie just has like no respect for that dude. Right? Like she, she just, again, I'm not even sure why she's in this marriage. Like, it just seems like awful.
2: No, she hates him. She's miserable. Um, but I get the impression though, that, you know, that's, that's how the marriage, that's what the marriage turned into before she meets Frank. Or I mean we really don't see her before she meets Frank, you know, but we see her when she meets Frank. And she actually seems happy and genuinely excited to be getting married, but Frank comes along and he just kind of like spoils all of that.
1: Because he's just like raw sexual energy, right? Yes. He he is the forbidden, he is he is all these things that Larry is not. She finds that exciting, alluring. Yeah. And she gets addicted to the Frank. A.K.A. the dick. (laughs) Sure. Don't be shy, Mark. It's fine. Three people are going to listen to this podcast. It's okay. Don't worry. No one's going (laughs) to (laughs) care. She loves the cock. Loves Frank's cock. That's all I'm saying. Okay. (laughs) I just don't know what's up with you and Frank's dick. Keep talking about she, she it. She really enjoys it. I mean, you watched those scenes. I did. Larry can't hit it like that. Apparently not. And she wants nothing to do with him. I mean, she wants something to do with him because
2: she's still there.
1: <sighs> yeah, but I mean, it can't be for money, right? Like they, and I feel like they don't, they don't portray it that way necessarily. Like, she's. I mean, they don't
2: the- portray it that way, but I mean, she's not really doing anything. He's the one who's like, "I got a really great job." And, you know, she's doing
1: whatever. Well, so so they find that room that Frank's been shacked up in, in their, in their home. And she finds, like, that little tin box with, like, you know, Frank's kind of weird porno pictures of him, like, doing things to other chicks. Again, very <laughs> tame. Like, like just has her
2: wrists tied to the bed right, but It's like, like, a sheet. It, it's just it's, like... It's,
1: it's like some bondage stuff going on, a little light, you know, bondage, a little light... Sim stuff. very goes. light. I understand that. But again, like, also contextualize this. The first time we saw this movie, you know, we were like maybe 12, 11, something like that. Like, maybe a little bit younger.
0: Well, I mean, for me,
2: for sure. Like, I was going to say, because you said, like, you were, like, preteen. Yeah, preteen for you was, like, 10 or 11 for me.
1: Yeah. So, like, yeah. I'm, I'm, again, I'm trying to, like, also realize, you know, I'm pointing these things out because this is, like, again, so much of this movie, when we first watched it, was just over my head. Just, right. Bang. So examining, like, okay, it today. that's perfectly normal, right? But again, you you know you've seen the movie, so you, when you watch it again over the years, you know you're paying attention to it, you're picking it up on different levels. But like when you're really examining it, and you're kind of thinking back to when you first watched it, you're like, hmm, I didn't understand any of this movie at all. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Just an observation. Yeah, I I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> so any hoot, because Frank has been killed in a real realistic manner by. The cenobites in this cube. There's his death sort of leaves uh, of some residue behind in the floorboards. You know, there's material, physical material that can be reanimated by 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 blood. And and so when Larry uh, uh, is very awkwardly moving a mattress up the stairs, and he rips his hand open and just gushes all over the floorboards, uh, a, a Frank spawns and respawns from the depths of quote unquote hell which is actually really just like sort of like an adjacent pain and pleasure dimension but whatever we'll talk about that later Um, talk to me about like that that sequence with Frank coming coming out of the floorboards again it's 1987 you know the the budget movie was tight I thought it looked pretty cool
2: it's awesome I I think yeah those special effects I think are right up there with uh, John Carpenter's the thing and in fact I think they were very much inspired by that I I uh, think so too yeah you know uh no i i i I think it's great I love watching watching that that sequence really good old school uh, some i I don't know if stop motion animation it's, it's not stop motion but it's you know it's all it's all puppetry right, and right. Um,
1: practical effects
2: practical effects like sped up camera work.
1: Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I really liked it. I, thought, I again, I it, it was the sequence I actually watched a couple a couple times over again because I was sort of impressed by it. With you know the the again knowing sort of like the budgetary restrictions on the on the picture again, Clive Barker directed this, and yeah. you know I I believe it's his first time really directing anything. It is, especially if something something of substance of of, of this level. Uh, and and I I really like that sequence where he pops out. And again, you get a different actor playing like sort of skeletal Frank. Um, but I sort of like that whole process of, of of Frank sort of evolving as he's returning, right? As he's kind of growing yeah. more layers. You know, he's sort of I don't even know what you would call that layer that he first is when when Julia finds him the first time. But again, you know as he's as she's killing for him and he's consuming these people you know getting those muscular layers like the the nerves and all, all the different things, I love the way they process that the way that that develops throughout the picture. yeah, it looks really cool. I think it's a cool effect. I don't know why <laughs> – and a carryover from from the first film to the second film is is these guys love putting suits on and just having like bloody suits to wear <laughs> like, yes, like really you had to put on a white shirt all right yeah
2: <laughs> yeah for sure
1: just saturate that son of a bitch alright cool 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 yeah so as you said like once Frank sort of rises resurrects himself he 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 gets Julia back on his side because again she's just drawn to this guy so the yes. idea that he's back and she can, he can be back in her life like she's willing to do anything for him uh, it's and it, it it's it, to me it sort of spoke of of Again, a level of dominance that he has over Julia, in in a, right. a sort of sexual manner. So again, kind of keeping with this movie being like way more sexual than I remember it being. But again, being actually looking in in hindsight, looking back at me like, oh, this is very on brand for Clive Barker because Clive Barker is a very sexualized dude. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Please, please don't nod. Say I, words. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm saying. You know, I have only.
2: I've consumed very little of his work. He's he's written many books, so I I don't know if that's everything that that he's done. But of the work that I've seen, yes.
1: Yeah, and I, I, you know, not to speculate too much, but I, you know, obviously, I think I think Clyde puts a little bit of his sexuality in, into these books too. As, as um, I think by the '80s, I don't know if he was out and proud homosexual, but I mean, you know, he was. At least the quieter about it than he is nowadays, and so I think I think that kind of charges a lot of his work from the '80s into the early '90s.
0: Sure.
1: So sexuality, I think, is is always going to be an element in some of his early work, in particular, when he was sort of trying to put that stuff out there for the world to consume. But that's just me kind of looking back at things and seeing it from a different perspective. Right. But getting back to the movie, <laughs> so now Julia's killing for Frank, and I don't know. I, I, <laughs> And again, th- again, there's there's sort of like this element of, of of taboo sexualism in the movie, like the idea of like hey, I just, I'm picking up this strange woman in a bar and she's luring me back to her house and we're gonna go to Bone Town, but I'm gonna get murdered for this. Like, there's something very on brand with horror about that, right? Like the idea of of, go, of committing a sin and paying the price for it, right? Would you disagree?
2: Yeah, no, I'm. I mean, I I think that element is definitely. There, um, you know, but kind of like what you were saying before um, about the Frank Julia relationship, him being dominant, her being sub. We see we see that reflected in all of the relationships in this movie, yeah. and so and and it's reflected in even those relationships because the men that she's bringing home, at least the, at least the one that we really get to see, you know, he's this kind of, you know, he just looks like this kind of down on his luck he's a loser schlapper. character. Yeah, yeah. So she's very, um, uh, she very easily manipulates him into coming back with her, which obviously bolsters her confidence to continue doing it.
1: Yeah. And, and I, I think one of the things that I really took note of in the, this particular go-around rewatching the film, was, was Claire Higgins' performance as Julia. Like, she's really, really good in this movie. I really like her performance, the way she sort of carries herself, the way she deals with Frank, the way she deals with these guys, the way she's dealing with Larry. Like, I think her performance is, is kind of awesome and understated at the same time.
2: No, I I think
1: she's great in the movie. Yeah, she. I. It, it was sort of funny when I when I when I dove into her IMDb page, I was like, oh, she's in like a million things, and I just never really noticed because she's kind of a chameleon actor, you know. She kind mm-hmm. of like blends into like whatever role she's in. Uh, she was most recently seen in the Sandman series. She's played she played Mad Hattie in the in the in the Constantine episode, which I know drove you crazy. But she was the old the crazy old lady outside of the museum. Oh okay. Yeah, well, the quote unquote crazy old lady, but you know. So I mean, she's still a working actor and doing doing big things. And I think she's in a couple of the Harry Potter flicks too. Probably small parts. I, but I think I remember wish, seeing that. Fish those out about that. <laughs> so again, her performance I think really helps elevate this 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 movie quite a bit. Honestly, did you? Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. This is one
2: thing I have. I I, I don't. I don't know. I, I do have a hard time I think she's great in the movie, but I do have a hard time believing her as like this sort of uh, sexual object that every guy just wants because like I mean, they kind of set that up with the uh, with with the movers at the beginning of the movie because right, right, right. they're both, but especially the one are very clearly. I don't know if they're hitting on her, but they're very clearly interested in her and eyeing her and things like that. I I don't know. She just didn't, she doesn't quite fit the look of that.
1: In my opinion. But But honestly, I sort of, I sort of read it a little bit differently. Um, uh, Being more of a um, guys will hit anything with legs. (laughs) So that's, that's, that's a stereotype. It is. But I, I think that's part of the, part of the, What what Clive Barker's trying to say in this movie? I mean, he's sort of manipulating that ideal for this for for this flick, like saying like all guys want to have sex with all women, but it's a guy like Frank that gets the woman to like really kind of get her juices flowing.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I
1: like you. You can can, can have sex with with anybody, but you can have s e x with Frank. <laughs> you know what I mean
2: i i I hear what you're saying. Um, this is me trying to be subtle I don't know what else. But if that's if that's what Clive Barker is trying to say about men in this movie i um, it kind it, I don't know it kind of diminishes the movie. I Again, I
1: think it's a very '80s perspective. Again, because you know you go back to that time, and it was it was a different world. You know, it was sure. a very male dominated world. So, you know, in a man's eyes, a woman existed for one reason only. And I think they kind of play into that a little bit. You can sh- you can shake your hair all you want, but this is a podcast. No one can see you. It's okay. I- I'm just saying. I, don't,
2: I think I think you're making very broad generalizations here. Possibly.
1: I'm I'm trying. They are inaccurate. I'm trying to add some 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 context to some of the stuff in the movie because, it, like you said, I it, but I don't feel like knocking Claire Higgins' sexuality because she's not like some porn star for you. All right. I'm just saying. I'm sorry. She's not Jenna Jameson. I don't know what to tell you. Ask her to say. All right, let's move on. <laughs> let's. I want you to talk to me about Kirsty, Larry's daughter from his previous marriage, uh, who is sort of our our heroine for this picture. Yes. Um, when it comes to sort of sort of contrast her role in like the horror genre, right? Like she's sort of like the Vestal Virgin character, right? Like she's the one who's pure of heart, you know, the good soul who has to fight the evil now that's infected her home. Right. Can you talk about that a little bit? No, not so much? Okay. About her being the good soul? Yeah, I mean, just talk about the character.
2: I, I mean, she's... Her Larry's daughter. <laughs> and she sees that... Uh, that It's like fucking pulling teeth a, tonight, Mark. It's like fucking that? pulling
1: teeth tonight. You're driving me nuts. <laughs> All right, well maybe
2: <laughs> maybe I'll grab a drink and that'll make things easier
1: but talk to me about Kirsty. just get, get into the character
2: no so so she's Larry's daughter she sees that uh, Julia is a horrible person mm-hmm. and she sees it she sees it from the very beginning, the beginning. because there's there's a history that, that we don't see there that she very clearly is at best uncomfortable around Julia Um. And yeah, I mean she she just seems to want what's best for her father, and is trying to help him in this situation as uh as Julia drifts further and further away from him. but um and and the, I mean, she really just kind of stumbles in into these things,
1: right. So she has like a completely useless boyfriend, which I actually really like about this movie, because it, it kind of puts everything on her, which I totally appreciate. This movie really reduces like the male influence in the outcome, which I, I, I sort of really like. Like that guy, her boyfriend—I don't even know his name—is so useless he, in this picture.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's kind of a putz. Yeah, total putz. Wastes space. He, but he like they just meet right at that right that he, dinner scene
1: yeah at the, at the so he's finish, not
2: right? he's, he hasn't been around for a while or no
1: anything. but they, they have like an awkward a stroll in the the evening of London which we're not supposed to know is London because they're trying to make it seem like it's America but it's not we know we know better we're smarter than that
2: yeah somewhere in the book
1: <laughs> but I i love how he swoops into the third act and it just like completely has nothing to do he's just like I don't know what's happening
2: <laughs> Who are he's these doing men? his best
1: these crazy S guys running around trying to kill us? All right, cool. He's, he's doing his best. <laughs> he's
2: just thrust into a situation. I don't know what the hell's going on, but he's trying to help. Help Kirsty. He's doing the right thing.
1: Right, but uh, the Kirsty character again, I find interesting uh, overall in, in the picture because again, we're talking about you know a character like Frank, who's like the, again sort of like the sexually dominant, sexually aggressive kind of predator, right? And yes. and again, he he fixates on on Kirsten because she is like sort of like the pure Snow White, virgin esque character, right?
2: Well, I think because of that, I think it's also, I think it, I think it's also for him a boundary to push, right? Because she's a his,
1: thousand percent, she's, she's uh, his niece, niece. And she's his niece, and he hates his brother. And again, like you said, we're pushing against those taboos, those societal Does he boundaries. he brother? I mean, he I don't killed, know if he, he hates
2: him. I think he just like disrespects
1: him and doesn't care about he him pretty easily and readily is willing to kill Larry <laughs> to, get yeah, his, I think, to get, but his I think that's too. because he just doesn't care. <laughs> I don't want to get to that okay. part just yet. I don't want to get that part just yet. All right. <laughs> I wanted, I wanted to ask you because there is, there's some, the, the movie's full of like some, some oddities here and there. And I, I kind of wanted to pick your brain a little bit about, uh, Kirstie's interactions with the, uh, Crazed, deranged-looking homeless guy who eats like the bugs. The and, yeah. I think it's grasshoppers. I think it's grasshoppers. Sure. I wasn't quite sure. But how's that read to you? How do you process that?
2: Strange.
1: Yeah. Um, but in, in a movie packed full of metaphor, like I feel like this this character is like the the, like the warning posts for like the red, red little red Riding Hood kind of character, right? I'm not
2: sure what you mean by that. A warning poster, like
1: th- that danger is afoot. Like bad things are happening. Not all is what you oh, think it is.
2: Okay. Well, yeah. I, I mean, sure. Um, I've always I've always wondered about that character and what he's supposed to be. And the best thing I came up with was that he's kind of someone that follows the puzzle box around and then when it disposes of its user he makes sure it gets back to wherever it needs to be so other people can find it
1: that was sort of my read on it too it could, because like all you know at least in the first two movies they all kind of end the same way where they end up on a table in a weird place with a person saying like so what's your pleasure kind of thing
2: well that's just the first one that's not in
1: part two but they begin and end the same in the first one and i thought the second one did end that way
2: no, it ends with the the pillar of souls coming out of the bed, and you see that guy's face, and he says, what's your pleasure? That's what it was. That's,
1: that's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but
2: the box is in the pillar the of souls. The box is in the
1: pillar. Right, right, right. We'll talk about the pillar of souls later. Holy shit. Yeah,
2: fruits. let's do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, I always sort of read that character as like some kind of weird like keeper of the of the puzzle box. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm that there. yeah. But again, yeah, I don't.
2: I don't think that character's in the book.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Clive put him in the picture, but again, I, I sort of think that character acts as like a road post for 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 Kirsty to, to kind of be like warning her, like there there are strange things going on. Pay attention around you. Like it, your perceptions may be not what you think they are.
2: Yeah, that's kind of unnecessary. I, don't think.
1: Well, I mean, possibly, but again, it is isn't it
2: doesn't it doesn't it doesn't really serve the story in any way. you know, the story is more driven by her concern for her father and what's going on, and, you know, like, that guy has really nothing to do anything with it except for following her and eating bugs.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I just think it makes her awareness sharper. Like, she's paying more attention to, like, some of these details now all of a sudden and and paying attention to, like, what Julia's up to in her free time luring these dudes to her house and them not leaving. And, again, a good sequence... Good sequence but, in the house when, when Kirstie goes in there after one of the guys have been killed and and figuring out, you know, that there's murder and mayhem afoot. <laughs> and she's right. like trying to hide in the house. And, like, there are a lot of great sequences in this picture.
2: No, for sure there are. I'm just saying the only reason she's there, though, is because her, her dad asks her to go talk to Julia. I'm just saying that Grasshopper Man has nothing to, to do with it.
1: Yeah, I again, I'm I and mean, maybe maybe I'm sort of putting putting something on there that doesn't exist. But I just again, I sort of act, I feel like he's like that, you know, the old the old guy who warns you before you go into the cabin in the woods.
2: Yeah, I think your read on it is right. That's definitely what it is. I just don't think it's necessary in in the movie, and I, I think it kind of it just sticks out like a sore thumb. It's like this this
1: is nothing and doesn't need. To Sometimes you got to pad that runtime, Mark. I don't know what to tell you. It's 82 minutes. That guy's on screen for like 30 seconds. Is it 82 minutes? I think so. <laughs> Actually, it
2: might, it might be 83. I was going to say, I thought it was
1: longer than that, but okay.
2: Oh, maybe. Yeah. I thought the, th- I thought you the know first one was I, like I think I think it's 92 minutes. I think that's what I'm thinking. I mean,
1: it's a lean, mean picture. Don't get me wrong. but
2: Yeah.
1: All right. So wait, let, let's get to the, let's, let's again, to continue my, my sort of sexual deviance with this picture, my, my fascination with the sexual deviance of this picture. You know, Kirsty finds Frank in her attic. A literal monster in her attic is actually a fam- family member who <laughs> wants to bone down with her, which is terrifying. Yes. And, yes. and then the next time they interact, we'll be wearing a skin suit of her now deceased father who wants to bone down with her. So the the imagery of a father and a daughter, but it's actually the uncle. I mean, like there's a whole big bad wolf thing going on here terrifying like again the levels here if you're paying attention a lot going on with what they're saying here with these relationships and again it's 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 frank not trying not to be confined and restricted by societal boundaries societal norms whatever you want to call it uh and and, and cursey sort of being like the person is like hey gross uncle get the fuck away from me right (laughs) i love it I, I'm so fascinated yeah. by these these images, but like that that moment again. We're as the audience, we're sort of aware of what's going on, right? I think we've pieced together that Frank's in the Larry's skin suit. You know, the blood around the head—it's kind of like the giveaway for yeah. all of us. Big tell, <laughs> big tell. <laughs> but like the whole "come to daddy" line. Again, the subtext on these things—I really appreciate it. I really, really respected it a lot. I was like, "Oh, that's okay. Here we go. I'm I'm no, digging it, this."
2: It's great,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> Let's talk about when Christy finds the puzzle box, though. Before Frank's wearing the skin suit of her dad, right. and and she's gonna have her first encounter with the Cenobites. And and I don't, I don't know. Just kind of talk to me about that. Like, how do you? Well, I don't. Just get into it. Just talk. Okay. Yeah. Wow well, with your charm. She
2: flees Frank, who's in the attic of her father's home. She has the puzzle box, she's running, she passes out, and apparently she gets picked up and taken to some sort of asylum. Uh, sanitarium of some sort? Yes. And there, for some reason, they let her keep the puzzle box. (laughs) And she decides to tinker with it and accidentally opens the doorway. Great sequence where she wanders down that corridor and she encounters a creature. I really like that creature design. I like that whole yeah. sequence yeah, really where, nice. yeah, like we first just kind of see the shadow of it and we know it's something, but we don't know what it is. And it starts chasing after her. Great little sequence of her trying to get back into uh, into her room before that, that doorway closes. Um, and then that's when the Cenobite's that we come to know and love show up and they want to drag her to hell um, but she makes a bargain with them.
1: yeah she's like hey by the way you're not going to take me because my uncle Frank escaped from you fools and Pinhead seemed very upset by that
2: well he didn't like it yeah but it wasn't for a sure
1: yeah so yeah we meet Pinhead we meet Chatterer uh, uh, Butterball and then I forget what they call the female one or is it just female Cenobite
2: it's female Cenobite, but on set the name was Deep Throat. Deep Throat, there you go. And they, they thought it was too graphic, so they, <laughs> they, didn't, uh, they didn't use it. But uh,
1: but because of the prosthetics, you only hear dialogue from the female Cenobite and Pinhead. The prosthetics I guess were apparently too much for, for Butterball and Chatterer to actually be able to communicate with on.
0: Hmm. That's, I always that's thought I that Chatterer,
2: like hmm. there was no point in him talking because he it's just ch- the chatterer.
1: No, apparently, to, apparently there was dialogue for all of them, but the prosthetics okay. involved with Butterball and Chatterer were difficult to work around. Okay. So that's interesting, but <laughs> I, I I really do enjoy them first arriving, you know, and and sort of like the sort of like the simplicity of the whole thing, you know, like you open the box, we came, and uh, now we're going to show you a whole new world of. of Pain and pleasure and all these things, all your secret desires, and again, it's 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 such a it's, it's a shock to the system for for Kirsty again, our our sort of vestal virgin character, to sort of now be tempted by by the seduction of pleasure and and all these these different temptations, right? Like the the allure of all that uh, in a sexual sense. Um, but I also wanted to talk about like there's sort of an addictive quality to the puzzle box. Because she seems to be getting more and more into it as she sort of figures out the different configurations. Like, you sort of see her becoming more and more engrossed with the idea of solving the box, um, which I, th- I thought was a very interesting thing that I had, I didn't it sort of, that sort of went over my head on multiple viewings. Sort of her getting her sort of fascination with it too, and getting to that point where like it's all about solving the puzzle box and getting to whatever's on the inside. If you will, and then find these uh Cenobites from another, uh, from like a pain dimension. <laughs> it's that's not quite the reward you're thinking of. That's no Turkish right. delight, my friend. That's no Turkish delight.
2: Do they put Turkish delight? I have in no idea.
1: They could. I have no idea. <laughs> but yeah, so so now Kirsty's in a position where she has to make a bargain with the Cenobites, be like, "I'm gonna get you, Frank. If you get, if you don't take me to your your pain hell,
2: <laughs> right."
1: And, and that's where we get the confrontation the, the whole Julia and, and Frank as Larry, and, and you know, the big confrontation at the house. Like, you're again, you, you we've we sort of have a haunted house story going on in this picture, too. Again, it's body horror by and large, but you get a little bit of a haunted house story in here. Again, Monster in the Attic, but it's your uncle who wants to have sex with you and kill you and wear your skin. It's there's, there's so many things going on here, and I love it. It's fantastic. I love the third act, I love the Cenobites taking Frank back, pulling him apart, the whole Jesus web line, all of it. Fucking yeah. fantastic. And then the Senate being like, you know what? We want you to, Krista. never mind. We're going to show you all kinds of, we're going to put some hooks in your nipples and we're going to have a good time. Come on in. Check it out. You're going to dig it. Yeah. And Kurt's like, no. <laughs> Hells to the no. Love all of it. I think the first Hellraiser is absolutely fantastic. I, I don't, I again, like the, the 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 pleasure I took from watching it this time around was was through the roof. Loved it.
2: Yeah, it, I, I love it. It's a great movie. Um, I usually I, I feel like I watch it probably like every couple of years okay. around Halloween. Um, you know, I think what you were saying about the end though, the Cenobites, I don't know.
1: They they're they're just demise. kind of
2: stand there yeah, and they say things and they let you run your hands all over the puzzle box to summon them away. Yeah,
1: so that's but kind it, of like these. I don't know. But it sort of shows. I don't know. It sort of to me. It sort of shows that the Cenobites, like they want you in their pain dimension. But like if you send them back, they're like they're not going to stress about it because <laughs> they know the puzzle box is going to be on the other end. They're going to get people coming through there at some point. Like, they're kind of like, they yeah. kind of like, have, like, a career path they're on. <laughs> so, like. I don't know about
2: that. I mean, <laughs> Pinhead was pretty upset when she summoned him away. You know, he was like, don't do that. But he just stood there and let her do that.
1: Right. No no hooks came out of the blackness to tear her uh, flesh apart. Right. But, you know, again, at, at 97 minutes, you got to start wrapping this shit up, you know. Things got to happen. Yeah. <laughs> So she's able to uh, send the Cenobites back, by and large, escape, throws the puzzle box into a fire, the crazy homeless cockroach man comes out, takes the puzzle box, turns into a giant winged demon and flies away, because that makes sense. Yep. (laughs) Because, again, the puzzle box has to go back to the start. We have to start all over again. Like, it's a new cycle with a new person who wants to pursue their pain and pleasure. Right. And I, I juxtapose how much I really enjoyed watching this movie uh, I, I really put that out on our Front Street because um, I talked to you again, I talked to you privately about this on a text. It's like my recollections were that as, as a younger person, I very much enjoyed Hellraiser two, possibly more than the first one. The tables have turned, my friend. The tables have turned. <laughs> and Hellraiser two was not the picture I remembered it being. So I really wanted to, to underline, like emphatically how much I enjoy Hellraiser 1, the OG entry into the world of the Cenobites and everything like that. I really dig this picture a lot. It's a a really good time if you're into that. If you can handle the body horror stuff, if you can handle uh, hooks tearing skin apart and, and all that goes along with that, then you're in. It's a good time. And again, the layers. The layers. Agreed. Yeah, this is this is a, again. This is a horror picture that has some substance to it. I think.
2: No, for yeah, for sure it does.
1: And that's kind of uncommon. Not not a normal thing necessarily.
2: I don't know if I agree with that.
1: I okay. mean, often oftentimes again. Okay, well maybe it is often the first entry in a horror franchise is pretty solid with the, with these things. And then it's again, like it's the, it's that diminishing returns we talked about. Right. Where everyone just like focuses on the killer part and they're like, no, nah, we don't care what the layers fuck that people just want to see dead bodies.
2: <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I mean, basically, you know, I mean, sorry, it's hard, it's hard to keep these things fresh.
1: Yeah. Well, particularly with Hellraiser, when I think they've like, you were sort of saying at the beginning, Uh, It it strays pretty far from the concept by like the fourth and fifth time around. Like, we're all over the place.
2: By the third time.
1: Even by the third time, in your opinion. Okay, fair enough. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about Hellraiser 2. I can
0: can lead you to hell and you you can take him back instead of me. Perhaps we prefer you. I want to hear him confess himself. Then, maybe... Maybe. But if you hate us, <laughs> we'll tear your soul apart. All right, so the first Hellraiser
1: is a, is a success. And uh, they decide they're going to do a second one. But uh, Clive Barker, less a key cog in this movie, not directing it. And I, I sort of think that was a bad idea in hindsight i
2: i mean i don't i don't disagree with that but i don't know it was that not his decision
1: i think he said he was not prepared because it was a fairly quick turnaround right after the first one was done yeah. and he wasn't quite ready to go that way out and do the next one right away so they brought another director on that he felt confident could handle the next part of the series yeah um and and hellraiser 2 is it it very much picks up on the elements of the first film and and as i told you before i my recollection from being when we were younger was that i enjoyed hellraiser 2 a lot like i have very fond memories of that movie that were that were crushed (laughs) well when was the last time you watched it it had been a long time it had been a long time since i watched this i remember getting it uh I have, a, I have a super cool limited edition, like tin collector set of of Hellraiser Two, uh, because I and I right after I bought that I watched it again and I still liked it, and the, but that was probably twenty ish years ago.
2: Okay. So, yeah, because I I, I real I think I realized fairly early on that that one the original was the best in the series, and that two really doesn't make a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, and so I'm I'm watching the second one, and I it's I think honestly, I was just enthralled with like we opened the second movie with the origin of Pinhead.
2: Yeah, I don't like yeah,
1: and I think that was sort of like my most defining memory of Hellraiser <laughs> two. Okay, because I'm watching a movie, and I'm like, all right, I sort of remember Doctor Shenard and I sort of remember all this stuff when we're inside the puzzle box dimension and all these things. But like the origin of Pinhead is sort of like what stuck out to me. And then I'm watching the, rest of the movie play out. And I'm like, Oh, I do remember this and I don't like this now, but for some reason when I was a kid, I did. And I don't know why
2: that the stuff with Chouinard was always my favorite aspect of it. When, when I was a kid, like that was the thing I remembered the most. Like I remembered him, being becoming a Cenobite and then going back to the hospital and killing a bunch of people. and remember thinking like how brutal and cool it was. And then you watch it today or even when I watched it, you know, I, 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 whenever I first started picking up on the fact that I wasn't very good. It was just like, oh, this this kind of sucks.
1: Yeah. So we, we this movie picks up shortly after the first Hellraiser. Uh, Kirsty is is now kind of institutionalized. There's a lot of questions about what happened in in her house. You know what's yes. going on here. The police investigation never really gets any traction. They don't really that that sort of goes away pretty quickly from this movie, um, despite the fact there's a lot of dead bodies in her home. <laughs> but
0: <laughs>
2: some I, I I I liked the the two cops in her <laughs> home. I thought they were great. The other one was just like a scaredy cat and ends up blowing some holes into uh into the corpses right. and the other cop giving him giving him some shit about it. That was I thought that was like a that was, fun little interaction.
1: That was fairly amusing. You're not you're not wrong about that, sir. I will not argue that point too much.
2: But um I mean did you did you notice who played Detective Ronson? I no. Oh my goodness and you call yourself a Star Wars fan.
1: Was that Porkins?
2: it's gold leader
1: oh it's gold leader huh
2: gold leader but more importantly John Rosie LaRose from Brew.
1: son of a bitch
2: Angus McInnes once owned a pizza parlor in Edinburgh <laughs>
1: of the three people listening to this podcast, you and I are the ones who know that reference.
0: <laughs> well, who else is listening?
1: Nobody who likes strange brew. <laughs> I know it's a mistake. Savages. If it wasn't Halloween, we should watch that next, but I, I I'm with you. <laughs> but I, I, this is a movie that sort of, I guess had like some difficulties. Uh, kind of coming to the screen because I get, it sounded like Clive Barker had a very different idea of what he wanted to do initially but because a lot of the characters a lot of the cast from the first I shouldn't say a lot but a few actors did not want to come back for a sequel to this movie they had to kind of change some things up which sort of led to a bit of a muddled plot if you will you know, uh, you know they spent a lot of time in this movie alluding to the fact that Kersey wants to get into the hell dimension to save her father well, yes. apparently Andrew Robinson had no intention of ever coming back to be part of Hellraiser ever again. But they didn't know that at the time. <laughs> so there was a lot of uh, um, duct t- tape applied to the script after that was finally made clear.
2: Was there I, – I don't know much about the, the, the making. I didn't – I wasn't able to find much about it. Um, was there any particular reason why?
1: Not really. Nothing, nothing that I could find personally.
2: He I just was don't just think, kind of like, no, my
1: character's dead. It's yeah. Over. I think Andrew Evans is more of a, he's, you know, he is an actor and he's like, I did this. I, I don't do sequels.
2: <laughs> I mean, tell that to Doug Bradley.
1: <laughs> well, Doug Bradley, different level.
2: I'm just saying, because I, you know, I don't know if you know Doug Bradley, you know, he was very hesitant to take the role of Pinhead. Initially, Apparently he, he was offered
1: one of the roles in one of the movers. For like the magic yeah. scene.
2: <laughs> he, he was offered the movers or Pinhead. <laughs> and he he hemmed and hawed about it because he didn't want to be just that. Like he wanted to be recognizable. Yeah, he wanted his face yeah, to be seen.
1: Yeah, but ultimately, I
2: mean, you know, he clearly made the right decision.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, uh, arguably, a, you know, top five of recognizable faces of horror is, is Doug Bradley as Pinhead. Yeah. Um, again, this will be sort of all over the place, right? So, Kirstie's institutionalized; she's under the care of Doctor Schwinnard. I think I said it right. Schenard. Schenard. Actually, I think it's Schenard. It might I, be. I, yeah. Uh, and we we find out that he's a sicko too, like like much like Uncle Frank. He, Everyone. He wants mm-hmm. to, He wants to. Is, go ahead.
2: Well, no, I was going to say, is he? Is he a, like he's a sicko but he's he's more of a sicko in like a like, like a Bengala kind of way. Like he wants to experiment on people.
1: Right. The the sort yeah. of thing I kept thinking the entire time I'm watching the scenes with him is is, you know, you have like the Hippocratic Oath, the do no harm thing, and like all this guy is doing is harm. And so right. I'm just like what kind of this guy's really fucked up. He's he's really twisted, he wants to explore these things, he wants to Pursue these avenues like he's been into the puzzle box lore, the the whole hell dimension pain pleasure thing. Like, like this is a, an obsession of his that we we discover, you know, fairly quickly into the movie. So we know not to trust him. Uh, but honestly, I don't find him all that compelling.
2: I see. I, maybe it's just the actor. I thought the actor did a very good job with it. Um, I, I actually really was interested in him and i think maybe part of that is because i kind of filled in his motivation for him as Mm -hmm. or for the movie because the movie like yeah they're just like oh he wants to explore things and he wants to experiment on people but they never really give a reason why so i guess in in the world of the movie it's just he's a sadist (laughs) and wants to do these things for that reason but i was kind of like I was thinking of it in terms of, like, oh, maybe he's, like, trying to find a cure for mental illnesses, but he he can't be bothered with Hippocratic Oaths and, and things like that. That's kind of how I was thinking of it.
1: But so. Yeah, for me, the interesting element of this movie is – and again, we, we didn't talk about her demise in the first one, but, you know, Julia dies on a yes. stairwell. But at one point, we find her on a bed with – hooks in her face and bad things happening to her and she's bleeding out all of his mattress. Well, the bloody yes. mattress comes into play in the second movie. Right. So I sort of wonder if that was a last minute change in the first movie so that they could make the second movie happen.
2: I mean, I don't think they were thinking that far ahead. Well, because like,
1: Frank stabs her on the stairwell and, and starts to consume her. And that's yes. the last time we see her is on the stairwell until Christy comes into the other room and then then finds her body with again, on the mattress, a bunch of hooks in her, and the puzzle box in her hands. Yeah. Kind kind of convenient. Because I, I don't really know how that scene comes together beforehand.
2: Yeah, I, I, I mean, you might be right, I don't know a whole lot about the, the making of either of these films, so, I mean, it could be that there was a reshoot, or yeah. they were thinking ahead of schedule, but I don't
1: or the from from White...
2: what you've told me, uh, 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 you know, with Clive Barker having different ideas for what he would want a sequel to be, uh, so I mean, obviously, he was thinking of, of a sequel, so I, I just don't know why that would have been shot it's... at that point in time if they,
1: at the very least, it'd... it's an awkward cut and, and maybe a missing scene that, like. You know, the, the centibytes moving her body to do something to her. I don't know. It's, it's, see, unfair. I,
2: I interpreted it as Julia, Julia wasn't dead when Frank left her, and that she grabbed the box as like a last ditch effort at salvation and opened it. And then the centipites got her. That's
1: a perfectly legitimate explanation, and I'm willing to but, buy it.
2: But it should be filled in, you right? Would think.
1: Yeah, but but the, the 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 bloody mattress that Julia quote unquote died on is, is a key element, uh, you know. Kirsty wants it burned, uh, but Doctor Chenard wants you know again as as a, a, a puzzle box aficionado wants it for his sort of menagerie, his uh, cabinet of curiosities, if you will. Right. Um, and so he. <laughs> He lures some poor hapless movers into his home, <laughs> and has and then uh, uh, oh. kills a, a mental patient. Lets a mental patient kill himself, basically. I suppose, again, like sort of like the one restriction that he has of of like his is like I won't do harm, but I won't let you not harm yourself. I guess is sort of his his thing. So he gives like, a crazy guy who thinks he's got he's like maggots on him. He's like Batman. <laughs> <laughs> It's a bit of a stretch, but I'll, I'll allow it for this conversation. He so He won't yeah,
2: kill you, but he doesn't have to save
1: you. He allows this this guy who thinks he has maggots all over his body to have a um, what do you call those that kind of knife like that shaving style knife? I think it's it's like a straight right. razor. Yeah, I think so. Gives him a straight razor. This guy just runs it all over his body, bleeds all over the place, and yeah. Julia bursts forth from the mag from the mattress, and. Yes. That is actually an element of this film that I very much enjoyed is is sort of like the role reversal. And now Julia is sort of the one in charge, calling the shots and sort of being like that alpha personality over Shenard Yes. And and because, again, sort of like taunting him, teasing him with all these things that he wants to know, all these things he wants to explore, and, and her sort of being like the gatekeeper to it.
2: I I agree with you about the... the you know, the, the the flipping of the roles from from the first movie. Now she's the one with the power. But I feel like it is so completely ridiculous because <laughs> she comes out of the bed and, you know, at least with, with, like, with her and Frank, there was a relationship before. She comes out of this bed, he wraps her in bandages and they just start getting it on. And I was like, What the fuck?
1: Again, things I think things in the in the second movie are, are muddled and a lot of like the the, the sexuality of the first one is, is sort of lost in the second one. But I think there's sort of a Again, like they're trying to make like that dominant personality thing happen. And they're trying to make it seem like Chenard's into it because it's it's unknown and it's new, and so he wants to have these experiences with this half dead person. <laughs> but again, it, it's 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 super muddled. It's it's
2: just it's just too ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's it's let it's, me let me make out with this monster lady.
1: Well, and, and again, if anybody, I, my recollection is maybe you know more than I do, but I feel like in the sort of process of growing skin and things like that like lips are like the last thing you get so the idea of them just like making out is super weird too
2: i mean they don't they don't ever really cover the whole
1: i know
0: but again
2: growing thing i understand you know. i
1: understand but it's just i, I sort of remember oh, that from like anatomy being like that's one of those things you kind of get later on
2: <laughs> can we can we go can, can we go back to, to the first one just for a second here. Yeah, of course. Has it has it because it's always bothered me mm-hmm. that you know Frank was regrowing himself. Um and then he just ends up wearing skin as a suit. Right. And the fact the fact that it doesn't just look like a <laughs> floppy mess on him, the fact that he looks like Andrew Robin, like I don't know. It's just it, it, it's one of those things it's just always it's always bothered me. like you wouldn't look like that yeah it's just totally ridiculous
1: but well i I sort of like the idea that like it's just a skin suit because it's sort of like you're still you you died like you can't come back this way like you're never going to be a hundred percent whole. The most you can be is like a, like a mockery of of a human being
2: I, I guess, but why do, why does it stop at the skin? You know, I mean, like everything else is there. Why does it...
1: I mean, maybe it doesn't. Again, they might have been trying to accelerate the process because he was so fixated on, on Kirsty. Yeah, um,
2: maybe it was just... They did that as cause they knew she was
1: going to Yeah, go. and, and, you know, it's, it's like yeah. the same thing in the second one here where where Shenard's you know, giving all these people to, to Julia so she can come back. But she never comes back 100% whole either.
2: Well, but I feel... Like, but that's the thing, though. Like, I feel like she does because, I, I mean, I was kind of confused the whole time with her even needing skin in the first place. So I was kind of like, I mean, she didn't die the same way Frank died, which she really need to be, her skin. I, I but it's like, okay, I, I mean, I guess if you're going to come back from hell, then maybe this is just a process you have to go through. But I mean, Shannard gave her a lot of bodies. Oh, yeah. Like, she no, had... Sure three or four times more than what Frank had.
1: Well, right. And then, and again, like her, and her skin suit still just tears off in the end. So it's like, how permanent is this when like, you are, you know, dead (laughs) by and large, like you're not an actual living being per se. I
2: guess so. I guess I just like the idea that like, yeah, you could, you know, like they, they found a way to, to cheat death. Although it is stated later in to that, um, the god of the l dimension Leviathan, Leviathan. allowed her to return. Right. So, so her, re- and that was something. I was kind of like, I hope they're not saying that's what happened with Frank, because I like the idea that Frank actually like slipped, that that he was somehow clever enough.
1: Well, let's let's talk about again. I I, I like Julia back in the movie. There's a lot, of, but there's so many inconsistencies and things that go unanswered. They don't really do a good job of of sort of exploring more fully some of the things they introduce in the first one they just they just kind of keep the same tropes like the skin suit stuff. So again like you said, I mean, you would think that you know, having more victims would make the skin more of a permanent situation, but I, there seems to be some sort of restriction that's not really clarified in any any sense. Right. We do meet the god of this hell dimension, this this pain and pleasure dimension, Leviathan, but Leviathan seems like a total dick. <laughs> and again, why? Uh, be- All right, so maybe you have an interesting perspective. Maybe you have a little bit more clarity on this, right? So I'm watching the picture, and again, remember, I when I was a kid, I really liked this movie, and I'm I'm having a hard time remembering why, but I'm watching this movie, and like Leviathan brings has Julia bring Chouinard, Dr. Shenard into the Hell Dimension and and starts to show him all these things and they're exploring all these things and he's getting these answers to like all the mysteries he's wanted to know. And then the ultimate mystery that he wants to know, uh, she shoves him into a box and he's going to get turned into a Cenobite, right?
2: Right.
1: But he's not going to get turned into a Cenobite and follow the program. He's like this independent thinking Cenobite who then goes around and kills the other Cenobites. Which I found... Weird And on, like I, I didn't understand why Leviathan would create a Cenobite that would then kill Pinhead, Butterball, the Chatterer, and Deep Throat. It didn't make sense to me. Now, again, I sort of understand the idea that, that Kirsty is running through his dimension too, and now she's starting to connect the dots from what she found in Shenard's house. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so she's sort of reminding Pinhead that he has humanity, and then Pinhead reminds the others that they were all humans at some point too. So maybe that weakens them. But I don't know. I mean, but Shenard's still carrying so much of himself over as, as a Cenobite that I don't understand. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that.
2: No, I, no, I mean, my only thought on it was um, just that scene where, where he fights Pinhead and the other Cenobites. And I just thought, all I could think was, was – like, these guys suck.
1: I mean, they but don't they do sh- anything. They just, they just get, like, fucking killed by Shenard. By like, there's no yeah. battle. There's no fight. Yeah. It's just like, pop, pop, pop.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, wow, these guys are really lame.
1: And I sort of have mixed feelings on the look of Shenard. as a Cenobite. Like, I sort of like what they do with his face. But the idea yeah. that he's sort of, like, floating around with this thing on his head, I'm like, that's really impractical. <laughs>
2: like. Well, okay. First, that scene where he, uh, like, if back in the real world in the hospital, he pushes open those double doors. Right. Like, it's it's so comical because he's hanging from that thing, and he after he pushes open the double doors, oh, like this yeah. grand entrance, he's just swinging back and forth. Yeah. And it just looks so, so ridiculous so and like cheesy. cumbersome. Yeah. Um. But I actually I. I came across a a video that was saying that that tentacle thing that hooks up to Shannard's head Mm -hmm. is actually a part of Leviathan. It's not part of him as the Cenobite. That it was Leviathan controlling him.
1: Right, and so I wondered about that too, but that makes me more confused because I I don't understand the will of Leviathan Then, if he's going to kill the other Cenobites, is it because they – Remembered their their bits of humanity and like so he's like okay you're out or I I, I guess I'm just sort of pondering I Leviathan's motivations. Re- I
2: think I think he just realized how ineffective Pinhead and his fellow troops are.
1: I mean I don't know they seem, they seem like that they had, so, uh, they had so, like some good things going on until Kirsty started mucking things up.
2: <laughs> I mean they brought Frank,
1: fucking Frank,
2: and then Frank got away, fucking Frank. So Leviathan is just like you guys are out. Like, Big Dick Swinging like Frank, that out.
1: motherfucker just had to ruin everything. Oh. <laughs> I don't it's, know. Again, I just sort of found it odd.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. I, I hadn't, I, I hadn't thought of thought of that when I was watching it. I was, I was you know, just kind you of you're, you're blown break, away. You're, your breakout so star,
1: your breakout star of the first Hellraiser is Pinhead, and yet you killed him at the end of the second act basically. And I'm like the fuck.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think like, I think it was one. I mean, obviously it's way too soon to do that, but I thought it was too soon to even really go into his origin. I think so too. And do those things. I like, this is kind of the movie where I, you would think you would want him to kind of shine as the villain. And, uh, they didn't
1: do that. No they disposed of them fairly quickly and, and, and in a very inconsequential manner and I was sort of like let down by that because again from sort of a dramatic narrative perspective, I was like, oh, I really feel like you missed an opportunity here to do something unique and different with these characters. Again, you know because the Cenobites are kind of going against convention here. you know they're they're very different characters in a world at the time, that these movies were coming out, you know, they're in a very slasher heavy horror world. And again, right. I I still say that it's specific, specifically the first Hellraiser, but like, you know, body horror still applies to the 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 genre the, the Hellraiser franchise. But they go away from it. And they kind of go into more of the traditional slasher trappings, and I feel like that really limits the Cenobites. Yes. And so so they're disposing of them. Them explaining their own humanity is interesting, but not right now. Like it just feels like they did too much too soon. Yeah. Because again, again, I sort of like the idea. Like you find out that pinheads, like this guy from World War One, and he has all this trauma from being in the trenches and all these different things. Um, but it's just like it's like no, we're we're no, we're too we're no, we're too early. This doesn't feel like the right time. Right. And then again, you just throw them away, and you have crazy Doctor Shenard, who again still seems like he's fully in control of his human faculties. You know, he's, he's still doing all these like doctor cliche I mean, lines. Could, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The doctor is in. I'm like, Very okay, Pin is not like you know doing soldier things. I don't, I, you know, I don't know what to say. Right. Um, they just wanted to get every I mean, every doctor just, cliche into that movie they
2: could horn in. But I mean, it could just be that Shenard was, you know, he was already pretty evil. So
1: I mean, that's fair. It's not that much
2: different as the Senate, But we,
1: we saw his secret asylum in the, in the basement, and it, right. I, I just feel like the movies it's it's a mix of like missed opportunities and sort of like unfulfilled promise. Yeah, you know, uh, you, you know, Kirsty's a big part of it. We haven't even talked about like the the, the psychic puzzle girl who's in this movie Brad Pitt Pitt? You didn't
2: think she looked like Louie from interview with the vampire
1: holy shit no I did not
2: (laughs) like I could not stop thinking about Louie when um, she was on screen oh my god
1: no I didn't get I didn't think about that but that that's a weird element of this film as well uh, I, I, I mean, one part that I do like is like they sort of tease like this love interest for for Kirsten again, like this this uh this like protege of Doctor Chenard's who gets killed very very quickly, which I found very very amusing, in you know an early victim of Julia's. Terrible. <laughs> He's terrible, but I mean, I, I like is terrible. I man. I I, li- I do like. I mean, if there's one thing to say about even the first three Hellraiser movies. Is I really do like how they focus on a on a female heroine, um, over, kind of, kind of overcoming these things. But like the the so all the sort of sexual dominance elements from the first film are are not in the second and third one. So it sort of loses some substance, in my opinion. Well,
2: I mean, I think I think the the second film. I mean, it certainly tried, uh, you know, but. I, I don't. I don't mind them getting away from that. I don't think you can do that every single time. No, no,
1: yeah. no. You're, you're. I mean, you're not wrong. Like the second one's trying to do a lot of world building, but it, it does it very clumsily. Yeah, I mean,
2: it does everything. You
1: Plumsily. know, like you would think, like the introduction of Leviathan, of like the god of that that pain and pleasure dimension, would be more interesting. But again, it's just sort of, it's. I found it to be sort of confusing, with like, the whole Shinard versus. Pinhead and, and the other Cenobites, I'm mean, just like, why isn't Shannard just like sort of programmed to go along, go with the flow here? I don't, or, or yeah. vice versa. And again, is it really as simple as Kirsty bringing this photograph of Pinhead when he was a human that, that upsets this entire apple cart? It just, I don't know. There's just a lot of things. I, I don't want to say it feels forced, but it, it kind of feels like there just was like a narrative they wanted to tell. And they are like, yeah. well, we're just going to connect these dots. You know, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll skip a few letters to do it, but we'll go from you know A to D. We'll skip C. Who cares?
2: Yeah, I mean it's pretty weak.
1: <laughs> it's pretty weak. It's pretty weak. And so we so we end this movie again. Kirsty survives. Uh, Puzzle box girl survives. Shenard gets punished. Julia gets banished. Uh, 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 in a, in a, in a total crazy scene, uh, 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 Kirstie's wearing Julia's skin suit to distract chenard again who shouldn't have any humanity but is still obsessed with her but so i kind of i kind
2: of i kind of like that i i liked the the fake out I,
1: again i mean, that's that is one element i remember from liking it as as a younger person but i from a narrative sense i'm just like how did this all happen like what like so kirstie gets like knocked out and we don't see her for 20 minutes. I guess she just ran back to like seven hallways no, they, ago. They,
2: they show her a runaway. She didn't get knocked out.
1: Do they show her run runaway? I can't remember now. They show her a runaway. Just
2: I just to... wish they... I, I just want to see her put that skin suit on. I want to know what that was like. That
1: would... <laughs> so much... Oh, boy. So much it's going like on there. on
2: galashes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so we so we end, end this fic picture with... Our, our, our main Cenobites, the one that we know, no and love, Pinhead, Deep Throat, uh, Butterball, and, and Chatterer, dead. Do we Though, love them? You know, you know what was interesting was when they were killed and you see them kind of fall to the ground in like their human form. Yes. And, uh, I forget if it was – was it Chatterer who you find out was like a, ki- a kid? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. That's kind of cool. Like, I love showing that sure. like you know the deviances can happen early in life kind of thing. I did like that, yeah. But anyways, so they're all dead, uh, and we end up with what, like, what, what, what did you call it? Like the soul column.
2: The I believe it's actually it's referred to as the pillar of souls.
1: Pillar of souls. That's how we end on. Is it's Pinhead and the box and and a lot of other iconography in this pillar coming out of the the Julia mattress, right?
2: Julia yeah. matches back in Shenard's
1: back in Shenard's house. house, and that's how we end this picture. And I'm not gonna lie, I was I was sorely tempted to rewatch the third one, which I don't think I've seen since I saw it in theaters back in like '95 or '94 or whenever the hell it came out.
2: Oh no no no! That movie was like 1992 or three, I think.
1: I mean, it's it's Terry Farrell, uh, Jazzia Dax from DS9. I'm a fan and yep. I, so I remember watching it in theaters and then being just like supremely let down but I was like I was going I was going I was gonna, I was going to do it I was like well if I can find it to stream somewhere I'll watch it and I couldn't and I wasn't going I wasn't going to pull the trigger on that 7-day Cinemax free trial I was not going to do it because I'm not paying 10 bucks for Cinemax when I forget to cancel it so I watched the trailer and the trailer basically played the entire movie in two minutes, which I appreciated, because I remembered every single thing they showed. (laughs) Okay. You, on the other hand, did watch Hellraiser 3. Yeah. Um, Can you put a bow on this Hellraiser trilogy and and, and tell us about Hellraiser 3?
2: I mean, it kind of picks up where two left off. Uh, Pinhead is trapped in the pillar of souls the pillar is much different than this one where it's yeah, very like visually carved. different yeah carved out of stone some sort of stone and um a skeezy club guy oh, <laughs> club yeah. owner in new york buys buys this uh, jp is his name he as buys this pillar as they do yeah and um you know he he has a, a lady over and Going when he's done down. with her and he kicks her out, she gets upset. She gets too close to the the pillar and chains pop out of it. And Pinhead's likeness, which is carved into the pillar, comes alive and he eats her slash sucks her inside it. It's mm-hmm. really, really terrible special it's
1: effect. It's in the trailer too.
2: Yeah. And um, that's kind of more... Less it, that's the setup and then it's Pinhead trying to get out of the pillar, which eventually he does, and he's been he's he's unbound now. He, yeah, just he doesn't no have humanity. this human side of, of himself within him anymore. So he's just like pure evil and he wants he wants the Lament configuration to destroy it so that he can't be sent back to hell. But Jetsia Dax has the Lament configuration and she's a very selfish reporter who's going to stop him.
0: <laughs>
1: she's very selfish. And she does. <laughs> and 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 but with the help of Pinhead's human self, right? Yes. Because they merge back together again to give Pinhead back humanity, which again, yeah. I'm not sure how big a fan I am of that element.
2: Uh yeah, I don't know. But but again, it, it's all it's, it's just all so poorly. Like 2 has interesting ideas and even though I think it it falls on its face, it um it it strives to be some it, like it has ambition. Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah. part 3 is like 90s horror would, schlock. It's 90s horror schlock. It, it the execution of it all is just so bad, and um, uh, they it, it, they they basically turn Pinhead into Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. where he he's quipping. He's when got he's one
1: liners and yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: throwing chains at people, and it's just it's really really not good and the The sad thing was was after watching it, I wanted to watch part four <laughs> because because I was like, I want to know more about this puzzle box. I know part four. I remember part four from seeing it in theaters. That it's all about the origin of that's, the box.
1: That's the Bloodlines one, I think.
2: Right? Bloodlines, yeah. which is in space, but it go, it cuts back and forth in in time, and. Uh, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, this box, I, uh, I feel like the box is a cheap trick.
1: Well, I mean, it, it, by that point, it's like a, a MacGuffin, right? Like, well, it's
2: a MacGuffin, but I, I mean, I mean the box itself and what it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they even say it in part three, where it's like they say, like the box wants to be opened. And, I, in all of the movies and watching the. the less so in the first one but but in all in all three of the movies that I watched I just felt like this box doesn't make any sense it has like four moves and then it just like opens and you did you don't even really move it you just kind of rub your fingers on it and I don't know I like I would like uh a little more and that's why I wanted to watch part 4 like I, I, want a little more explanation into how this box works.
0: Well, it's
1: it sort of so 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 sort like my takeaway from watching Hellbound: Hellraiser Two, and the trailer for Hellraiser Three: <laughs> Hell on Earth, <laughs> sort of underlines what we talked about at the very beginning of the podcast. Like sort of like the unfortunate consequence of most horror franchises, which is the law of diminishing returns where the focus becomes not what the original intent was. And I think Hellraiser is a primary example of when you shift the focus from exploring, you know, humanity pushing the boundaries of sexual taboos and, and all these different things, kind of exploring levels of what society might consider depravities and and things of that nature and you you shift the focus to oh these guys in the hell dimension or like this puzzle box over here you're really you're really doing a disservice to the intent of the entire thing you know like you should be in my opinion you should be continuing to explore depravity in human beings and pushing boundaries and going to crazy limits to to Reach these things that draw the attention of the Cenobites and draw the attention of Leviathan and the and the people that inhabit this hell dimension, but instead they choose to focus on again the Cenobites. They choose to focus on the box, blah blah blah, and they're they feel like they've sort of missed the point.
2: Yeah, I I agree with that. It's but I think you know. It's, it, it's difficult, though, because even if you continue to do that, you inevitably you end up with a story that more or less ends with the Cenobites coming to get you. Um, and you have to deal with that
1: Right, but, anyway. I, but I think I sort of like the idea of the Cenobites being like the boogeyman that is the consequence of you going – beyond the limits
2: I'm, I'm not saying that I don't like I mean I do like that idea but I just think like that gets repetitive after a while And I, I, I think you like you have to end up exploring like who they are I, especially because I mean they are the most at least visually interesting and striking things about I don't I don't
1: disagree with you but I, I think there's a way to do that and, and sort of stay true to the to the sort of you know the original premise that that Clive Barker kind of laid out, and 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 you know to sort of transition us, I think that's one reason why I'm I'm very very interested in in what they do in this this new reboot that's coming out on Hulu um, in the in, in the next week or so, depending on when I release this. <laughs> uh, like I'm, I'm very intrigued in the idea of of, of rebooting and seeing if this. Franchise can kind of like reconnect to its roots, uh, and and you know I've I've only seen a couple of early reviews, and it sort of sounds like this new version on Hulu kind of gets the franchise at least on the right track, which I yeah, think's a wouldn't win. Be hard. It wouldn't be hard. Again, like you said, there's like what just ten just, or eleven of these things that are like way off make,
2: base. Just make a competent movie. Yeah. Like that's you know. It's, it's, yeah. It, and, forget tone, forget about the lore or anything. Just like make a movie that's actually watchable.
1: Right, and I know some people are are like, uh, you know, a small but vocal minority of people are are like hung up on the idea of like a female pinhead but I'm like, that sounds fucking rad to me. And like, pinhead's pinhead. Pinhead should be, pinhead's sex should matter like the least of anything in the movie. Like that should not be anything to think about.
2: Well, I'm Pinhead and the book the it's referred to as the hell Priest pinhead's not right an actual thing um is and is depicted as being androgynous so yeah i don't i don't think it's anything anyone should really be hung up on uh because yeah like that's that's how it is in the book
1: so right and if you go to like even not counting the book and you just go to the visuals of the first movie. I mean, like they're basically like S and M demons, right? So what's, what's the difference if the S and M demon is like a dominatrix S and M demon, like who gives a shit? (laughs) Like that, that's very much into like that whole uh, S and M bondage culture. That's all part of that whole vibe. I, I I think that works.
2: Yeah. I'm, you know, but I, you know, the, the people who are arguing against it are, I don't think they're not arguing against it from a story standpoint. They're arguing against it from a more political standpoint.
1: Or just even so. like, the, like the whole optics thing because they're like, oh, this is, we're we're gender bending because it's the thing to do. And I'm like, they're gender bending because like who gives a shit? Like it's, it should be an ambiguous kind of character. It's the actions of that character that speak more than his gender. And like you said, I mean, in the book, he's sort of like, again, these are demons, like their gender is sort of secondary to, their actions, right? Yeah. By and large. And, and again, we're, uh, we're also exploring, you know, we, we sort of, we didn't highlight it as much as I, as I initially intended to, but you know, I mean, the first Hellraiser movie is, is all about sadomasochism. And if we're going to go back into that element of things, I'm all for it. Like, like let's make me uncomfortable. <laughs> I am not a S S and M guy. I am not a bondage guy. Make me squirm in my fucking seat. <laughs>
2: I mean it it will be very interesting to see because um like I, f- I feel like the SNM stuff is you know in the original film yeah, but like I said, like like it's pretty vanilla and But it's present So I am I'm, I'm 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 curious to see how far they go with it sure. in this one. Um but it's also like, you know, I found my, again, watching these movies, again, like I, I like I want, I guess I, I want to see more of what the Cenobites do mm-hmm. to people. Uh, because it, 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 like it talks about all of this, you know, pain and pleasure and, you know, sexuality and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it really just seems like the, Cenobites just kind of show up and pull you apart, and there's nothing really particularly sexual about that. So I, right?
1: But I mean, I'd I, I,
2: like I, to see them do some really crazy, creative, right. but stuff. It, with
1: but this. is that because like you can't relate to that whole sort of taboo sexualism of of, of getting sexual gratification through pain? Mm-hmm. You, you shrugged. Just for anyone who can't see the audio, the video of this, Mark shrugged.
2: <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think that. I can't.
1: It, it for, for me. I mean, just my, my own personal per, point of view on this is, is like, I can't relate to any of this stuff. So like, I don't, you know, the idea of getting sexual gratification through getting my nipples twisted in, in a thousand directions does not sound fun to me, but, you know, but, to each their a, own. But-
2: but see that that's but that's the thing. Like you're offering that as, as an example, right? I mean, I mean, obviously, you know, we've seen that in you know other movies and and things like that. But you you at least like understand it conceptually enough to to talk about it. And what I'm saying is is that these this batch, like they don't even do that. It's just like you know the centipedes show up and then they just start peeling your flesh or something like that. I feel like eventually it would lead to that, but I want to see some other things.
1: You know, you're saying these things and I see you now and you're wearing uh, nipple clamps. So I don't believe anything you're saying anymore. You've lost all credibility on this podcast.
2: How so? (laughs) I would say that makes what I'm saying more credible for
1: this. Apparently I can go and and like fillet you and like you'll be okay with it.
2: I didn't
1: say I'd be okay with that. I don't know. Where you getting that from? You'd be like, oh, it feels good. Yeah. Deeper.
0: <laughs>
1: you sick bastard. No. To each their own. That's all I say about that. I, 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 I just think it's a world that I don't understand. So, you know, even if it's like vanilla in its exploration, to me it's shocking. So I, I, I can't really judge it, I guess. I'm sorry. I'm very normal. I I shouldn't say normal. That's not the right word. But I'm a very. We'll go with your word. I'm I'm a very vanilla. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) Mr. Rocky Road over there. (laughs) (laughs) You know, maybe you can put some, some, uh, some. uh, You know, some, some. Uh, chocolate syrup on me but that's about it you know that's about I'm still vanilla at the core (laughs) that's
0: gross
1: (laughs) I meant for your your ice cream metaphor not like literally
2: (laughs) (laughs) I was going to your ice cream like that's the most you could come up with that nasty shit
1: (laughs) I I think we're done now (laughs) There's no recovering from Mark thinking that I meant sexually. I want chocolate fudge poured on me.
2: <laughs> like you said, they each their own. Hey,
1: whatever floats somebody's boat, that's their business. As long as it doesn't hurt other people, that's all I really care about. <laughs> but apparently, the World of Hellraiser is all about how much hurt you can endure. And again, that's the roots of the franchise. And I, I sort of hope that this new... Uh, reboot will kind of get back to those roots in in some sense, at the very least. Mark, what do you what do you hope to see out of the new new Hellraiser?
2: Well, I mean, what I just said. Um, I wasn't
1: listening. I'm just kidding. Just <laughs>
2: calm down. So that and I, you know, like I, said, I just I just want to see a good movie. Yeah, um, yeah I think so. I I would like to see. Some more exploration of the box and how it works. I'd like to, and it looks from the trailer. It looks like we do kind of get more of it being an actual puzzle box with multiple things that it can do. Yeah, I was disappointed when I saw CG change for Pinhead. I thought it looked pretty bad. Gotcha. Yeah,
1: I mean, what is that? The Stay tuned to Hulu in the coming weeks and, and check it out and uh, maybe we'll get a chance to reconvene and discuss our thoughts on the new Hellraiser in an upcoming show. But I feel like I'm Hellraisered out at this point. You know, unless, unless Cinemax decides to let me watch the rest of the franchise because I, I, I do have to admit to having a morbid curiosity about how this franchise kind of goes <laughs> from four on. I mean, I, like I said, I remember seeing Bloodlines at least once on video or DVD. Um, and I think I saw the fifth one, but after that, I didn't know they were even making them anymore. <laughs> I had no no idea.
2: Yeah, yeah, like yeah, I knew they had done like a five and six, but after that, there's at least
1: four more. Yeah, but like you said, they sort of turn, they sort of start of, sort of started turning Pinhead and the Cenobites into Freddy's and Jason's, and it it really strayed. From the 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 hell dimension, the hell, the pain pleasure thing. And again, looking back on it now and and watching it with with some more mature eyes, all the sexuality that's in that first one and 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 sort of like all the taboos that it's trying to brush up against and push against and 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 outright break is is fascinating to watch. Really enjoy. I really, really, really enjoyed watching that first one over again. The second one, again, like you said, the the ambitions there. But it's it's sort of misplaced, in in a lot of senses, and yeah. then uh, uh, from your brief summary and from what I remembered of that two minute trailer, third one no good. Mister Mister George paid that guy twenty bucks and it was too much. You don't know, you don't you don't know that internet? It's an internet thing. Don't worry. I'll 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 tell you later.
2: <laughs> you should see the Cenobites that he creates in part three I don't know if they show those in the trailer but oh my goodness
1: well we should call our good friend Reagan and and his brothers uh, Ryan and Rob over at the come Come on it's still good podcast and see if we can share an order of Cenobites with them because they do sound delightful
2: they do
1: all right <laughs> we'll put an order in and we'll get together with them soon Mark thanks for hanging out you got any fun any closing thoughts about hair razor you want to get off your chest anything we we missed Um, consult the notes I'd love it (laughs) I mean
2: there's so many little things too but Not really. I think, you know, like I said, I, I think Hellraiser 1 is a, a, a great movie and I think I think it's great technically. There, One thing I, I think I did notice in this is like, I really like the way they shot the film around the house using like the corners of the stairwell and stuff like that. And it you kind of felt like you were in a little puzzle box of your own and I thought that was a really smart choice.
1: You know, the, I'm glad you mentioned that. that. That that was an interesting element of it because, like you said, I agree with the puzzle box element. And uh, you know, you know what a fan I am of a haunted house movie, and it's not a haunted house movie necessarily, but it does enough to remind you of haunted house movies. Again, monster in the attic, the whole different thing. Like you're incorporating a lot of different horror genres into that first film. That I think makes it a lot of fun. Oops. Oh,
2: there is one thing.
1: Yes, one thing.
2: One thing in part one that has kind of always annoyed me. Uh, but at, at the beginning of the film, the when the Cenobites kill Frank, they they take the the lament configuration with them, and somehow when Frank comes back, he has the box. I'm just like, how did he get that? He Stole it when he was in hell, and he somehow brought it back with him.
1: That's sort of where my head's at, but I mean that—that's a detail that I missed as well, so I couldn't. And that—that—that
2: that. That, that actually brings me to another thing, which is I really didn't like it in two when they were just like, "No, there's more than one puzzle box because
1: because yeah, had, had all those ones in his yeah. in his study, yeah, and he was collecting them, yeah, yeah. I don't know
2: what's up with that. What Again, I, I needed to watch part four: Origin of the Box.
1: Well, apparently, it's origin of the boxes, <laughs> or are those other ones Maybe. fakes? They're, they're fake. Who knows? I guess he picked the right one to give Puzzle Girl in Part Two. Then. Yeah.
2: Um, anyway, yeah. That's all It's you know, it's it's a it's a franchise, and <laughs> it started great. It's not anymore. <laughs>
1: Oh, how the mighty have fallen. Uh, Mark, if there's one show out there you're watching, what do you recommend right now? Currently, you're currently checking out that's new on the airwaves.
2: Am I watching anything?
1: Well, I, you, I You just watched, You just told me about Cobra Kai, so I thought you oh, okay. would recommend Oh, yeah, it. Cobra
2: Kai, season five. It was fun.
1: <laughs> there you go. Thank you so much. Yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Pulling fucking teeth with this guy. <laughs>
2: You said that I'm watching. I finished watching it. I'm not watching it anymore.
1: (laughs) We got to (laughs) go. All right. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for hanging out, man. I appreciate it. Bye. Thank you. Jesus Wet. There you have it, my friends. That is our Hellraiser 1 and Hellbound Hellraiser 2 conversation for the Halloween season. But this is just to wet your whistle because we have another Halloween episode coming your way very, very soon. Uh, in case you're new to the podcast and, and are a little unfamiliar with our current format, uh, the Patreons get the shows first. So they've gotten a, a, a second double feature featuring uh, the Hulu uh, reboot, resequelization of Hellraiser, and we discuss Halloween ends as well. Uh, that'll be an episode that'll be available on this feed here in a week or so, uh, so stay tuned for that. As you know, we we'll let Halloween kind of linger in, into into November because, well, that's what we do here. We 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 set our own rules, you know. We're not beholden to anything. We do what we want on our podcast. That's why it has my name on it because I do what I want. Just kidding. It just kind of works out that way. But stay tuned. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Hope you come back for uh, the Hellraiser Hulu version reboot, whatever you want to call it, and the concluding uh, act in, in David Gordon Green's Halloween trilogy, Halloween Ends. We'll be back with that one very, very soon. Another reminder that we are still on social media, so please reach out, follow us uh, on Instagram and Twitter. It's at TomCastPodcast on Instagram and Twitter. And you can email the show, TomCastPodcast at gmail.com. Another reminder that I truly would love to hear from y'all. So to truly, truly appreciate that. If you want to uh, support the show with some sweet, sweet, sweet five-star reviews, we are truly appreciative of the people who take the time to do that. And, and they still mean a lot to us. Like I said, the show doesn't come out... With the regularity that it used to. Uh, but all those five star reviews that you take the time to write, they still uh, help a lot and they mean the world to me. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, if you're not already and you want to become a Patreon, it, you're going to go to uh, a, a, a Patreon page called Mandavision. It's patreon.com forward slash Mandavision. It's the Star Wars podcast that I do. And that is what it gives you access to these sweet, sweet, sweet Tomcast podcast episodes weeks before other kind souls get them. Um, and there's a great group of people over there to hang out with, too. It's a fun time. At least we try to make it the show. so. So <laughs> thank you so much for taking the time, tuning in, and listening. Hope you have a great Halloween weekend. Have fun, stay safe, and, uh, uh, you know, scare the crap out of people when humanly possible. It's always a good time as long as nobody gets hurt. If they wet their pants a little bit, that's fine as long as nobody gets hurt. And I, I guess I have to include psychological and trauma, traumatic damage that you could inflict on someone. But anyways, all right, we'll get out of here. We'll be back very,
0: very soon. Ciao, babes. We have such sights to show you. Oh, shit. No, don't do that. Go to hell! So the Tribe drops its third straight on this trip, 6-1 to one, to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's see, one hit. That's all we got, one goddamn hit. You can't say goddamn on the air. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway.
2: Great story. Compelling and rich.
0: We're not going to be fucking sunk this year! We're the Stanley Cup champions! Yeah!